From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Colin Donovan. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. You can also text the letters EWTN to 55000 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. Happy New Year, everybody! Well, at least those of our Open Line listeners in the Eastern Hemisphere, happy Happy New Year. Happy almost New Year to the rest of you uh, here west of points where it has turned midnight. You'll be happy to know that 2022 has arrived in some parts of the world. So uh, any stories to the contrary are uh, false. Uh, 2022 has has arrived, and I think we, we thought we were ready for 2021. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we're more ready for 2022 than we were for what uh, befell us in, in 2021. But at any rate, open line rolls on. Colin Donovan is in the studio today, ready to answer your questions if you'd like to be part of the program. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. If you're outside the United States and Canada, that number is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at 1-205-271-2985. You can always send us an email, openline at EWTN.com. Or you can text your uh, question to Colin. Text the letters EWTN to 55000. Wait for a response. Text your first name and your question. Message and data rates may apply. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, manning the board, flipping uh, the switches, spinning the dials, and doing all the things that have to happen behind the glass to make this program grow out to you as a producer. Uh, Matt Gubensky, screening your telephone calls, and Jeff Burson, magnificent person, handling our social media efforts. So if you're watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question into the chat window, and it may find its way to us by the end of the program. And as I mentioned, the host, as he is every Friday, the aforementioned Vice President of Theology, Mr. Colin Donovan, how are you? Uh, Hey, Jack, uh, sitting in your chair today, but uh, not feeling at all like you. (laughs) <laughs> well, just one more thing to thank our Lord for, Colin. <laughs> well, it is, you know, it's a, it's the day in which to give the great todayum every year. Thank thank the Lord for everything uh, that happened in the previous year as we look forward to the new year. And uh, as you noted so ably, ringing in the new year. Servants so of the Lord, you bless were at the, the Lord. Track, maybe. Every possible creature known to man, bless the Lord. That's what I remember about the todayum. That's that's correct, yeah. All you, Everything all you bless the Lord. Mountains and streams and so on. Bless the Lord, that's right, exactly. Rams and goats and all kinds of stuff. Things Mountains like and that. clouds and rain and snow and, yeah, everything. Um, <laughs> it is a beautiful, beautiful... Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny how... And, and I know that there is a certain amount of license in translation that is taken. Mm-hmm. You know, but it is really amazing how beautiful... Much of the scripture and the liturgical texts take on an intrinsic beauty within just about every language. They do, and you know, uh, there 
it's the practice of the church at the end of the year to do a solemn te deum. Uh, the Pope will, I think, already have done it uh, in Rome. Uh, it's a thanksgiving for the year uh, that recognizes that all things that occur occur by God's providence. Uh, even if we try to parse whether he willed it positively or allowed it, you know, he's still the Lord of history, and we give him thanks for those things as we give him thanks for, you know, sunshine and rain and clouds or clear skies, whatever it is, good or bad. Um, he is the Lord of history, and he provides it uh, for our good, for our sanctification, for our betterment and conversion in some cases, but yet it comes from his, uh, his divine will. You know, ever since man came up with any sort of a uh, way to measure time in this mm -hmm. dimension, um, you know, the, the, the rolling over of a new year in just about every culture has always been a big deal, and it's no different in uh, the Jewish tradition, uh, the tradition of our ancestors, and it's really no different... Uh, for Holy Mother Church uh, since our Lord was incarnate, huh? No, not really. And uh, those, you know, the, the date of when that's done has changed in different cultures, has even, you know, changed in, uh, uh, in well, in different cultures within Judaism. Uh, perhaps not so much in Christianity, although the accounting of time has been gone from the the Roman Julian calendar to uh, what is effectively the Catholic Gregorian calendar, uh, which we can thank uh, Pope Gregory the Thirteenth for in the 1500s. Um, and so, on this basis, uh, we, you know, we we count the seasons or we count the days and the years, as the case may be, depending on our culture and so on. Uh, but yet, it's that recognition that. There's always beginnings and there's always endings, um, and that's what we're, we're recognizing and honoring. That is not simply a matter of fate, for example. It's not, that, it's not a deterministic thing that the years, seasons pass, but as I noted, it's the will of God. And I think we need that whenever the world gets into difficulty, whenever the church gets into difficulty, to remember that he's in charge. And to truly give him thanks for what we've received and to uh, turn to him in need, as the text of the Our Father encourages us to do uh, when we, we have needs, and to, but always to remain on that steady course of confidence and of faith, hope, and charity, really. So we, we have a celebrity who has texted a question to us to start the program today, Colin. Uh-oh. And it's, it's Mariel in Lexington, Kentucky. And she wants to know, I heard that Tadeum today needs to be prayed in public. Is that true? Well, there are different kinds of needs. There is a public Tadeum, which is public worship done by the church. Um, and it's not always, uh, you know, in a particular parish or whatever, that's not necessarily going to happen, I think. But certainly the fact that the Pope prays it, he prays it on behalf of all of us. Uh, if our bishop does that ceremonially, it's on behalf of all of those who, you know, as the canon law puts it, the, his portion of the people of God. Uh, and so, and likewise with the pastor and, uh, and the parish. Uh, so when it's done as an act of worship, it's a public act. 
but we can do it in our homes. We can do it in our families, and I think it's a very fitting thing to do. And uh, I said Mariel was a celebrity. She is the um, much more intelligent, far more beautiful, infinitely more spiritual sister of our call screener, Mr. Matt Kubensky. And a proud graduate here of John Carroll Catholic High School in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. And her father's name is Matt. Her brother's name is Matt. So who do you think she married? A Matt? A Matt. <laughs> so we have we have Matt's everywhere. So uh, Oh, my goodness. Thanks well, be to God. She, she my has, birthday uh, is Matthew. I'm very happy to, to be a Matt myself in that sense. Well, there you go. And uh, and uh, Mariel's uh, wonderful husband, Matt, is a graduate of Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute and uh, got a job right out of school with Corning up in Corning, New York, and they spent some time there. And then he's been in China uh, for uh, running a plant in China for a couple of years. And, and her only wish was that at some point in their married life they got to live in the South. So he had an opportunity to go to Lexington, Kentucky. And so... Uh, he has been able to fulfill one of the dreams of his bride and uh, was able to go to, to Lexington, Kentucky. And you know, Colin, it was, it was wonderful because we had the, had the great privilege of being at the, the wedding of Matt and Mariel at the Cathedral of St. Paul here in Birmingham. And I, and I know you can, you can back me up on this, but when you see uh, two, two young people come together and celebrate the sacrament of matrimony, uh, you know, putting our Lord first... Um, it's just, it, it impacts everybody who, who's in attendance and everybody who comes in contact with them after, after they're married, huh? Well, it certainly does because it sets an example. And I think why, you know, it's very, it's very good for non-Catholics to see the particular way in which Catholics marry. And that it, that is, it's primarily Although it is a natural, an act within the natural law to take this person and make that commitment for life, uh, anybody can marry on, on those grounds who've never been married. Uh, but for, for Catholics and Christians generally, too, it is, it is something done before God. And I think the solemnity which the nuptial mass brings to it drives that home. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. Pray for Matt and Mariel Trosa in Lexington, Kentucky. Our prayer intention for the day here on Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, we've got a very unique opportunity for you today. Generally speaking, on Fridays with Colin Donovan, the phone lines are jam-packed from the beginning of the show to the end. But uh, pro probably having something to do with it being New Year's Eve, we've got some wide-open phone lines for you today. So if you've ever wanted to talk to Colin Donovan, now is your opportunity. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. 
833-288-3986. Colin, we have an email from Jimmy, and he said, I'm a recent convert. How should I respond to my Protestant friends and family who say the Catholic Church is just another style, and the only thing that matters is that you believe in Jesus? Um, I don't think there's any basis of that in sacred scripture. Now, if you take Jesus as a historical character or person, you like his teaching, yeah, he said all this cool stuff, and you believe in him for that reason, um, you know, I suppose you could have that opinion, but most people start with what's actually in the scripture. And God wasted an awful lot of time showing that there is a corporate character to believers, to belief. Uh, He spent all the time preparing for Israel, and then within Israel's life, preparing for the church, for Christ, the coming of Christ. And in all of that, the corporate nature of the relationship with other human beings and with together with them to God is manifest in sacred scripture. And it's no less in the New Testament. So if you look in the New Testament, there doesn't seem to be any basis for uh, independence of thought in that manner, which would say, well, I like this and I like that. And, you know, Jesus said this and said that. I'm going to pick and choose. You have to look for what he actually said. Otherwise, you're just making it up. So you go to the scriptures you see that corporate character, just as there was in the Old Covenant. You see that there is religious worship. Uh, There is bloody sacrifice in the case of Israel. Uh, There is, uh, you might say, the reading of Scripture, as occurred in the synagogues, um, the collecting and the formation of Scripture, as as Israel did during its uh, during its uh, e- existence before the coming of Christ, collecting the sacred scripture because they thought that the tradition written down and accepted as revealed by God mattered. And likewise, the early church did that, discerning which texts mattered because they faithfully pass on what Christ taught. What Christ taught whom? Well, the New Testament tells us what he taught the apostles well, the, the, what the apostles taught whom, you and me and, and everybody else? No, that they taught those who uh, heard from them, those whom they appointed presbyters and uh, episcopoi in the church. We're given examples of that, not comprehensively, of course, but we're given examples of those whom they placed in authority And it's logical to think, well, unless Jesus thought the world was going to end at the end of the first century, he anticipated that down through history until he comes again, he would appoint people to be the uh, carriers on of what he taught the apostles and what they taught their disciples. And it's interesting that in the second century, a bishop in Gaul, which would be modern-day France, uh, in Lyon, uh, Irenaeus, who was actually a Greek who had been converted and came and got this, uh, appointed this position of the bishop in, in uh, Lyon. And he wrote down a history against all the various arguments that were being made against, you know, God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Christ as the Word made flesh, that there is a church, that there is particular teaching, and sort of took all these points on. 
in his uh, writing called Against Heresies. And in Against Heresies, one of the things he does is he challenges those who promote these other ideas, these heresies, he challenges them to show the connection between what they're teaching and what Christ taught. In other words, to show that at this time there was no formed New Testament. They probably had the Gospels. They would have had many letters of Paul or even different sets of letters of Paul in different places around the Mediterranean. Uh, that collection was sort of forming itself and being gathered together and being utilized am- among uh, Christians when they came together to worship. That started to form the New Testament canon as it, things got widely recognized as having that authority from Christ and the apostles. And so he says, how will we know what is being came from Christ? Well, for one thing, we can look to those places where there is a succession of bishops from the apostles. And principally, he notes, in the Sea of Rome, where Peter and Paul founded the, the Diocese of Rome, if you want to call it that. They founded the church in Rome, as, as Paul in Corinth and others in different places. They, found, they founded it, and in this, we can have a a continuous line of apostles, and this see is in particularly renowned for its teaching uh, that all agree with. So if you're looking among various opinions and arguments that different pastors or theologians might give, where do you look? You look to the apostolic sees, and foremost among those is the see founded by Peter and Paul at Rome. And this is, of course, the origin of, of the papacy as an established uh, touchstone of, of the teaching of Christ and the apostles handed down for 2,000 years now. Now, against that, you could have different—along You along would come the various uh, heretical ideas regarding Christ, regarding the Trinity, uh, and regarding uh, the p- possible use of icons and so on uh, as representations of, of the human nature of Christ, for example— uh, all of these questions would be adjudicated on the basis of what had been handed on. And ultimately, if questions came up, what had been what was approved at in the apostolic see. So the early church very quickly developed a way of distinguishing between, hey, I don't think this is what the Bible says, and I think it means this and this other thing and this other thing, and I know nobody else agrees with me, but I'm right. So how do we say you're not right? We say, well, that's not what nobody's been teaching, but for 100 years or 500 years or 1,500 years or 2,000 years, here's what has been taught or what we can say we teach today, which is logical consequence of what was taught early in the church. So you can end up with the idea of sort of a nebulous church which has no secure teaching, no secure authority, no security than private party A buying into the idea of Jesus, buying into the Bible in some way, but determining what it means. That's not a, solu- that's not a way to spread the faith of Christ around the world. So who has done that? The Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is in every continent on earth. The Catholic Church has for 2,000 years spread the faith of Jesus Christ everywhere on earth and will do so till the ending of time. No other entity 
can say that. No other church can say that. Jack, there was an interesting, I don't know that I've ever told this story on the air, but when I was in the in Naval ROTC, we had a course on operations theory. In other words, that means, you know, management and so on within the naval context and all of that. And the, uh, and the guy who was teaching it, uh, who was a naval officer who was serving at that ROTC unit, Northwestern, he mentioned, he said, if you wish to look for a continuity of organization and of philosophy, who would you look for? Who would you point to as having the, the, the longest longevity currently in the world on that regard? So all the faces were sort of blank, and I sort of cautiously put my hand up. The Catholic Church, yes, the longest, oldest surviving institution continuously existing in the world, having existed from the first century. That's where you go when you want to know what really is from the apostles, rather than what some guy thinks is from the apostles or is found in the Bible. I think that's the logic that makes sense and not, there's no churches, there's nothing really definite in the scripture. It's just a nice idea and we follow it to the best of our ability according to our own mind and that, that's good enough. I don't think that's, there's any example of that in the Old or New Testament where that has, is the case. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of open phone lines for you at 833-288-3986. Kevin is in the great state of Iowa, listening on Siouxland Catholic Radio. Kevin, you're on with Colin Donovan. Hi, I was just curious about um, why do we call him the uh, shoot from the shoot of Jesse? Well, Jesse is the father of King David, and according to human nature, of course, Christ is the uh descendant of David. That's his entitlement uh, as the anointed one of Israel, the king of Israel. Uh, Of course, that meant that, at least in the legal sense, uh, Joseph was his uh, father um, uh, in in the legal sense, and uh, he was a descendant of David. Uh, Most authors would say that Mary also was a descendant of David, um, and that the two, you know, all together, just from him getting his human nature from Mary, that was true according to nature, but according to law, him getting sonship from Joseph uh, communicated that uh, that kingship to him, that right to that kingship. So it's all because Jesse was the father of David, uh, you know, and we know that story of how David was chosen as the least of the member brothers, uh, sons of Jesse, uh, by the prophet, in or- and anointed with oil in order to uh, be king in Israel. Um, and so that's the basis of that and the basis of the prophecy that the Messiah would be uh, of the house of David. You know, and we hear these stories over and over, Count, and I think we lose sight of the fact of just how far prior to the birth of Jesus <laughs> this prophecy was issued and how spot on it ended up becoming, huh? That's right. Approximately 1000 BC was the time of King David, or maybe a little before that, of course, followed by Solomon and down. There was the interruption in the kingdom and then the resumption of the kingdom. Uh, the loss, the, the loss of the authority of the king, but never the loss of the idea of the king. 
And that would be asserted even after Christ when the Jewish people would not accept him, of course, as their, uh, as the anointed one, the Messiah, uh, even down into the second century when the Romans made a determined effort to exterminate every descendant of David precisely so these annoying Jewish people would stop rebelling against us. And that, that didn't work too well for them. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number, 833-288-3986. It's EWTN's Open Line Friday with Colin Donovan. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. couple of open phone lines and plenty of time for your calls. Next up is Ronald in the great state of Pennsylvania watching us on YouTube today. Ronald, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Hi, Colin. Colin yes. Go ahead. Uh, Ronald, uh, I have a question about a woman God the Holy Trinity. Mm-hmm. I read that there are three divine persons in one essence. Uh, I don't know if that means, but I also read that God, the Holy Spirit, proceeds from the Father and the Son. And I also read that God, the Holy Spirit, is not in the Father, and He is not in the Son. If there's one God and three divine persons, how can there be uh, God, the Holy Spirit, proceeding from the, from the Father and the Son? But He's not in the Father and the Son. Is this correct? Yes. Um, And the understanding is this way. First of all, we're dealing with a being which is above, above, transcendent of all things, time and space and whatever. So first of all, our categories don't apply to them. What we're trying to understand is a mystery which is for us incapable of understanding. It is a constant... Uh, understanding of the faith, of theology, that the only one who understands himself is God, and meaning that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit can only understand, are the only ones who can understand the uh, processions that come from the various relations within the Trinity. Now, Efforts have been made to sort of explain something such as you you questioned, or, or at least you asked about. And so we look at Augustine, for example. Well, we can actually start with the Gospel of John, where John says, the Word was with God and the Word was God. Okay, well, what's the Word? And this is, of course, where Augustine was jumping off from. Well, the Word is the uh, expression of the mind, of the, of the one who is expressing it. In God, you can't express, the Father can't express himself in a word through a creature, through a created reality, but only after his own, after his own nature. So, the second person of the Trinity is the Word of God coming from the Father as the perfect expression, this Word coming out of God the Father. And as God is infinite, eternal, and all of that, so is the Word. 
Now, what else do we have going on in the human mind? And that is, the word can be part of act, that there is act that follows from it. So we speak of the intellect and will. Uh, The intellect knows something, has a word about something, and then it acts. It does something with that. It ha- there's act which follows from it. So the act begins where? With the principle, the Father. The Word, of course, as a perfect expression of the Father, also is part of that. And then finally, the Holy Spirit is the fruit, as, as it were, of the Father's, the Godhead's expression of himself in act. We say love. Likewise, we make these analogies between the word and knowledge and between the uh, Holy Spirit and love. And so somehow in this mystery of God, that from the Father proceeds the word, and I actually like the way the Greek theology expresses it. We we say from the Father and the Son because we don't want to get a confusion going where it seems like the Holy Spirit is the same as the Son. If we just said the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father, the Son proceeds, it sounds like two identical persons, and the only way we can distinguish them is through these, you know, this, the way the processions occur. So in the West, it got clarified a little bit as the way you distinguish is the Son comes from the Father, and the, and the Spirit comes from the Father and the Son. And in the East, they say, through the Son, which I think is a very good complementary expression of what is taking place, that this act of love of the, God, of the Godhead is expressed, obviously, fidelity to the Word, absolutely. You can't have a division within the Trinity between the 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 knowledge that God has of himself and the act the acts of love but comes in a way through that because it expresses what is already expressed as knowledge in the word and in this way we can understand that not only is all of creation as Paul tells us Christ is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation but he, of course, eternally within the Father, within the Trinity. But in creating, the Word is obviously a template through which creation is accomplished. God doesn't create unlike himself. He creates like himself. And so we look always looking for analogies of God in the creation. And likewise, in loving, we're looking for analogies of what's true love in the creation, that self-sacrificial love, which ultimately led Jesus to come down, the Word to come down and be united with creation in, in human nature and redeem it through the total self-gift. So we're all, in all of these cases, we're speaking analogously to what is a tr- root truth within the, in the Godhead that we can't completely understand, or even perhaps even not even a little bit understand. But we get some inklings of it because we are made in the image and likeness of God. And this is what Augustine was proceeding from, 
that in ourselves we see the reflection of this as we do in creation. It's all together. We see the reflection of this triune nature. And of course, in the union, and John Paul II was great on teaching these th- matters with regard to creation and especially marriage, because he so showed how in the fullness of humanity, male, the union of male and female, you get this image of the Trinity in a similar way. There is the one who gives, the one who receives, and then what the one and the love that flows between them, which has its fruit of the child. So all of these are just grasped, but in a way it's grasping like straws, but in a way it's very profound if you sit, you know, and contemplate it. So I, I recommend, you know, reading maybe some of John Paul II or even uh, even looking up on the Internet something. Well, what did Augustine say about the Trinity? Uh, I think our library has uh, some things uh, that would be interesting in that regard as well. So a mystery we can't understand but we get these little glimmers of light through the thought of great theologians and saints like Augustine and John Paul II and others. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. A couple of lines open at 833-288-3986. Martha is in Chillicothe, Ohio, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Martha, you are on with Colin Donovan. Hi. I was wondering, where did the apostles come up with the term the church? You know, uh, mm-hmm. there was a synagogue, so where, and then they started writing about the church. Where did that word come from? Where did that idea come from? Uh, well, the, as they spread the faith around the Mediterranean, by necessity they used Greek. The way today, if you want to do anything in the world, you got you better know English, or it certainly helps to know English. So Greek, not Latin, surprisingly, Greek was the, the language of commerce and, and academy, you know, education, if you will. Uh, and, and so therefore, in looking for words to use in, for the new realities, they settled on the ecclesia, which was the assembly of freedmen in the Greek uh, city-states. In other words, the elected or the electors. So it was a way of saying that you and I and the baptized are the elect of God. We, we form together collectively the elect of God. Synagogue was also a Greek word meaning a gathering. Uh, in other words, in this case, to gathering to worship. And so when the synagogue system at the time after, during the exile in Babylon and, and afterwards, this way of the, the, the rabbis who were basically teachers, they weren't, you know, priests or Levites. Uh, when that system got going in Judaism, it, rec- it meant the body of the believing Jews, the synagogue, and them coming together to pray and worship, uh, usually a liturgy of a wor- the word because they had sacrifice in the temple. And the church needed a new word for that, and it somehow settled on the ecclesia, now, church doesn't come directly from ecclesia, but you could look at Spanish. It's iglesia, iglesia rather. In Spanish, it's iglesia. You can see the Latin root from the Latin stole from the Greeks. We, the Latin language, the Romance languages stole from the Latins. We stole a lot from, from the Germans, from the Anglo-Saxons and the Germans. 
So our English and even our religious language was very affected by that. So the the word that was very often in prayers of the Holy Ghost comes from Geist, the German word for spirit, whereas spirit comes from spiritus, the Latin word, which is uh, closest then to the Greek. So different different words from different languages, and in our case, church comes from kirka, which is uh, at least the modern word for church, and there's probably uh, more ancient uh, Old German and Frisian, which was, um, I think, the language the Anglo-Saxons are there about spoke. So you get these different origins of the words, and that's all it is, the reality of the assembly of the elect. Uh, that's what the church is. And it can be local, we call that dioceses, and it can be universal, we call that the Catholic or universal church. And uh, that's the, the reality. We have these two expressions. We are all together under the Pope, and we are all together under our bishop. And both of these are coexisting and interdependent and necessarily related because there are Christian, the believers universally, but there are also the little groups of believers in the different places, uh, such as we Saint Paul see Saint Paul founding uh, in the new in the letters he wrote in the New Testament. Uh, so that's the history on that. Eight three three two eight eight E W T N. That's a free phone call anywhere in North America. If you'd like to talk to Colin Donovan, the number is eight three three. Two eight eight three nine eight six. Kevin is in Kenosha, Wisconsin, listening to WSFI Radio today. Kevin, you're on with Colin Donovan. Hi, guys. I'm calling about my daughter. Mm-hmm. She's been married for 13 years. She's got. Uh, she just filed for divorce. She's got a 14 and 16 year old daughters. She's always been a good Catholic Christian, but now she's been kind of falling away. And a couple weeks ago, she sat us down and told me and my wife that she's attracted to a 20 year old girl. We told her she's on a slippery slope and to try to distance yourself from her and get back to your faith, you know, because she's always been a good Catholic, you know, going mm-hmm. receiving all the, uh, as far as communion, confession, all the sacraments, you know, and she's been very good in taking the girls, but now she's falling away from that now. Now she said that she's going to New Year's party at this girl's house tonight, and our daughter's 37, and this girl's 20 years old, and... We don't know what kind of advice and godly counsel to give her. What do we say? What do we do? Well, um, obviously you you have a parent's right to give that, even though it'll be unwelcome. Uh, I think the the element of prudence always has to be involved because um, fraternal correction, which is what it would be, and although in this case you would say daughterly correction, uh, always has to take into account the element of effectiveness. Will it be wasted? Will they not listen to me? Can I deliver it in a particular fashion which makes it more acceptable, or will I give, give it in a fa- fashion which will be re- to- rejected immediately without consideration? So these are prudential judgments that you have to make with regard to your daughter to pick the moment, to pick the time, to pick the manner and the words that you wish to use to prudently express, and you, I think what you said was just fine, a slippery slope. In other words, nobody ever falls away usually all in one fell swoop. Uh, 
I keep referring to something Fulton Sheen said that in he brought ten thousand people, it's estimated, back to to the practice of the faith or to the practice of the faith. And he said nobody ever left because of a do, the doctrine of the Trinity that he knew of. But they leave because the church is an offense to their opinions or their lifestyle on purely everyday matters. Uh, very commonly, sexual matters today, matters of marriage and, and family life, on bioethical matters with regard to reproductive issues such as artificial insemination or in vitro fertilization. These are the kinds of things that people get angry at the church, uh, or they divorce and remarry, or they do things which they think make sense at the time, but in reality didn't take the eternal values uh, into into account if they were Catholics. So that's why the prudence of it is very important. Nobody can really tell you what to say or how to say it, but you should say something, and it sounds like you have, but I think you need to pick your words, look for the opportunity, and pray, pray, and pray that God will create the opportunity where she receives well whatever it is you have to, to tell her. Because as I say, if you, if you give advice that is unwelcome, unwanted, dismiss, it'll be dismissed. You want to give, be able to give that advice and those cautions and those warnings even, as you did with your statement regarding the slippery slope. You want to give them on ground which is at least open. You know, so like the Lord whose seed fell on different kinds of ground, you want yours to fall on ground which has a little moisture in it to help it bloom. Maybe you won't be the one. Maybe she'll be listening to EWTN or, you know, any Catholic entity, radio or TV, or pick up the newspaper, Catholic paper or a book or a friend will say something. You know, it doesn't have to be you. God can find the manner of bringing the truth to her and opening her up to it. Uh, so I would say move on both those fronts that God will prepare her and dispose her and maybe bring someone to her or a providential event where she gets the same message, you know, and then look for those fertile opportunities when your own words uh, can find uh, good ground and, and, gr- and grow. And you've done a great thing just by calling the program, Kevin, because now all of our listeners will be praying for you Absolutely. and your family as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. Probably time to squeeze in a couple more calls at 833-288-3986. Anthony is in Indianapolis, Indiana, listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Anthony, thanks so much for holding. Welcome to the program. Hello. My question is pertaining to sacramental theology. Particularly, we say that the priesthood is eternal, uh, even like in heaven and the afterlife. Uh, how is that the case, and how come that's not the case for, like, holy matrimony for marriage? Okay. Well, remember, the priest exercises the ministry of an eternal person. Jesus was not a human person. He was a divine person who took human nature. So the priest is exercising a ministry that is properly the function of Christ as eternal priest, eternal high priest, and we we even use that language. Uh, So that 
co- uh, conformity to Christ, as is used in, in Scripture and, and also in the liturgy, that conformity to Christ will never go away. Just as our baptism, because it's a conformity to Christ the priest, it's the baptismal priesthood, the priesthood of, uh, uh, as such as the Israelites had without being priest in the uh, sense of a son of Aaron, uh, our baptism is an eternal thing. We go to heaven... It'll be to our glory. If we go to the other place, it'll be to our ignominy. Uh, likewise for the priest. In addition to his baptism, if, if he ends up in the wrong place, it will be forever held against him. You, you might put it that way. Marriage is a natural reality. You know, cats and dogs and other people, they reproduce, other creatures, they reproduce and have descendants. Marriage is not necessary for spiritual life or growth. A lot of people aren't married and are, are completely, you know, fully human and, and, and become very holy. Marriage has as its primary purpose, setting aside and overlooking all of the propaganda to the contrary, bringing children into the world and secondarily and, con- and concomitantly, in other words, as a necessary consequence of that primary purpose, nurturing them and caring them and continuing on the human, you know, the human activity of multiplying and filling the earth as the Lord commanded. That is a temporal activity. Uh, it's not necessary in God. It's not necessary for the angels. It's necessary for us because we have an animal body and human beings, although we have a soul, we need more animal bodies to, to be the bearers of more souls, in other words. So that's why it's transient. And if a spouse dies, you can remarry for that reason. Jesus gives the example. Because the Pharisees, or the Sadducees, I think it was, who actually came at this, they didn't, they didn't believe, you know, even as the Pharisees uh, did, uh, many of the things Jesus was saying. And one of those was regarding the resurrection. So they came up with the silly question of, well, a man had, you know, uh, you know, seven brothers and he died. And successively, these brothers all took the, the wife, uh, the woman uh, as their wife, whose wife will she be? And he says, you don't understand. But like the angels, there's no giving or taking of in, in eternal life. It's not necessary to that life. So the, the marriage is not eternal, but there's an interesting statement I read a number of years ago. Uh, Pope Pius XII uh, used to give all these addresses to, well, all the popes do it. But there's an interesting uh, collection I found many, many years ago. I don't know if it's still available on, on uh, the popes to married couples. And Pius XII said a, very, a, a great many things in that regard. He was speaking to widows they had the right to remarry, as church law, as even the gospel uh, uh, makes that possible. But he said, to consider your vows and not remarry for the sake of, you know, not just considering your human spouse, you know, still someone that you're spiritually tied to, as you are. You're temporally released, but you're obviously in charity. You're, you're very much tied to this person. And you all, you always will be because of that bond of charity developed during your marriage. 
Now concentrate on Christ, that spousal relationship with Christ. So he was encouraging widows to, and probably they were already widows beyond the reproductive age and so on, uh, as you see many in, in Italy that way. Um, they, you know, very devout and very practicing deeply of their faith, and he's giving them encouragement to continue on that way. Uh, because what is eternal, what survives, is the charity that we all can take with us if we die in the state of grace. But that bond with Christ, which he was encouraging, now you, your spouse has left you to build up this, deepen this relationship with Christ and to consider your vows with your earthly spouse to be eternal, and you will not break them. So you can have that sort of in, as an intention, but in fact, because the temporality of marriage uh, it's not by its nature eternal, but obviously two people can feel can consider themselves eternally bound to this person, and that's fine too. And even as Pius was encouraging to look at it from that point of view, that you can now concentrate on your relationship with God. And very quickly, just in the brief time we have left, Colin Stephanie called from Houston, Texas, listening on the TuneIn Radio app. And she wants to know if you've seen the cho- the chosen, and if that is valid, and what should she think of the creative liberties that were taken? Well, the the, the chosen I found to be a wonderful uh, wonderful films or movies or episodes, I guess you could say. But from a Catholic perspective, there are many theological deficiencies, and it's because a Protestant theology, with its great love of Christ and its desire to show the beauty of the gospel teaching. They do that wonderfully. I can't criticize them at all. There are points of parts of those uh, episodes are absolutely charming and edifying and glorify God and Christ. But there are many things that, from a Catholic perspective, we would say actually do not express the truth of the dignity uh, of Our Lady, for example, and of the Church and the relationships there. And that's something as Catholics we hold dear and we have to protect. But I, I, I don't discourage people, if they want to see them, to watch them. Uh, just remember this deficiency. Not being done by Catholics, although the, the, the man who's playing Jesus is a Catholic. And so you're going to see those deficiencies come through sometimes theologically. Other than Mark. that, great, great series. On behalf of our host, Colin Donovan, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks for another great week of EWTN's Open Line. Back at it again on Monday when we return with Father John Tregilio. Until then, God bless. God bless.